Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Life Church. Happy Sunday to you. Uh, I'll be honest, I thought by this time we would be back meeting in person again, uh, but with the most recent developments, we kind of feel like we've taken a step backwards, a couple steps backwards. And I say feel like on purpose, because God knew all about this. God is neither shocked nor surprised. According to God's timetable, we are right on schedule. And remember this, we, Life Church, we have never shut down. We've just adapted to the circumstances. We're rolling with the punches, and so here we go. Now, we have been in this series for a number of weeks, and it's called The God Questions. We've been looking at questions, common questions that people ask about God. And today the question is this, what was Jesus really like? Think about that. What was Jesus really like? Because we all have our biased mental picture of what Jesus was like, don't we? When you think of Jesus, how does he come to mind for you? I mean, he's always wearing white, got the blue table runner across his robe, and he's always got this otherworldly glow. We all have pictures like that in our minds. Um, when I was growing up, I kind of put Jesus in the Sunday religion box. I thought Jesus couldn't see me unless it was Sunday and I was wearing a clip-on tie. <laughs> I put him in this Sunday religion box. But here's a question for you. What box do you put him in? Because you put him in some kind of box. Here's some things that we forget. First, Jesus was Middle Eastern Jewish. He was not American. He was not a blue-eyed white male. He uh, had brothers and sisters, and he was the oldest, meaning he always got the top bunk, although he probably never took it. He was too nice. He had no bank account. Jesus had no 401k. He walked everywhere. He didn't ride around in a bulletproof Jesus mobile. Jesus never wrote a book, didn't own any property, never held an official position, and he had a surprisingly small Twitter following. But here's what we got to remember. The, the life of Jesus was important enough to split history in two. And that is only with just taking a glimpse at the life of Jesus. So when it comes to this question, what was Jesus really like? You know, the Bible tells us that all the books in the world could not contain the works of Jesus. So that means that we can only really take a look at one sliver at a time. Now, when we want to take a good hard look at something, we get pretty intentional about it. When it's dark, we flip on a light. If, it, if it's obscured, we'll push aside any obstructions. If it's complex, we'll hold it up and look at it from different angles. And that's what we're going to do for a little bit. We're going to take a, a, a more close look at Jesus by looking at his friends, by looking at his friends. Now, this is going to expand your vision and challenge you, I promise. Now, we're going to take a look at his friends because who somebody picks as friends and how he relates to them tells you a lot about who they were. And especially in our current day, how we relate to one another is of utmost importance. I mean, it always has been, but in our day, you really got to get this right. Now, for about 30 years... Jesus had lived in a small town outside of Jerusalem called Nazareth. And he was really, clearly, just one of the guys at this point in time. He's commonly referred to as a carpenter, more likely a craftsman who worked with all different types of materials, but mostly stone. Wood was far less common, 
much more expensive in that time and in that place. Stone was very abundant, and it was the main building source of that day in that place. And Jesus is just one of the workers, a regular guy in his village. Now, there was some talk from way back in his town, something strange about the circumstances around his birth, and then another episode when he was about 12 years old about him teaching in the temple, something like that. But by the time he was 30, those stories had pretty much faded back into obscurity. But right around the age of 30, it all changed. The Bible says that Jesus went out into the desert to be alone with God, and that began what we refer to as his earthly ministry. He began to heal the sick and touch the lepers, enable the blind to see. And he paid attention to people that nobody paid attention to. And one of the very, very first things that Jesus did was to select a group of people who would be with him like nearly all the time. So I want us to look at who Jesus picked as, as his friends and how he related with them. Now, the culture in which Jesus lived was a very, very distinct social strata. There were the wealthy people who were the merchants and the landowners. They were the beautiful people who lived in the big houses behind iron gates or on the golf course. And then there were at the bottom of this social strata, the poor people. And then right in the middle is what the people that we would call fairly ordinary folks, traders and family shop owners and craftsmen. And, and then teetering between the middle class and the lower class were the fishermen, the fishermen. Now, most of the fishermen in Jesus's day lived up in the northern part of the country around the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big, beautiful lake. I've been on it before. Now, a fisherman in the first century didn't really have a very easy life because they didn't just fish. They had to do boat maintenance and upkeep, and they had to wash and repair the nets. And some days required more of that than actually fishing, and lots of their resources went back into boat maintenance and repairs and things like that. It was also a fairly inconsistent way to make a living. It's kind of unpredictable, because when storms would come up and obscure the shoreline, the water would grow cold and the fish would go deep, and often they would come back empty-handed. Beyond that, these guys smelled like fish all the time. And although they'd probably gotten used to it, you know, after a while, they could probably tell by the scrunched up looks on people's faces when they came near that other people had not gotten very used to it. But being a fisherman was in some ways a good life because hard times were never permanent. Just a little change in the wind or a run of fish and you were back in business again. But one day along the Sea of Galilee, just like any other day, there were four fishermen in one particular area. It says that they were, do, they were over at the shore and they were doing what they did six days a week. They were uh, near their boats, the boats were right nearby and they were there washing their nets, very common occurrence. There was a young man there by the name of Peter, a guy who emerges as a man with a real, real strong personality. He's there with his brother, Andrew. And then there was another set of brothers that they were not related to named James and John, and they had reputations for being hotheads. And the four of these guys together kind of had a little informal fishing business. None of them woke up that morning thinking that day was going to be different than any other day. And while they were tending to their nets, Jesus, who they'd heard about but never really listened to, 
was just a few feet away from them on the shoreline of the very same lake where they were. And Jesus was teaching about God. And it says there in the Bible that the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger. Pretty soon the situation got rather impossible and Jesus kept backing up more and more, getting deeper and deeper, wetter and wetter. Now, while this is all going on, there's no indication whatsoever that these four fishermen were even listening to him. But then it says that Jesus came over and got in their boat, got in their boat and asked if they would push it out a little bit so he could speak to the crowd without having to back up deeper into the water. So all of a sudden, these four fishermen are a captive audience, aren't they? And for probably the first time in their lives, they began to hear the words of Jesus. And in hearing him, what they said, what he said to them was so incredibly powerful that when he finally looked at them and said, come, follow me, they left their nets and followed. And not just for the day, like from that point on until whenever. They became the closest of friends from that point on. It's amazing, just amazing. How Jesus relates to his friends says so much about him. And my prayer this day is that we would come to two very important conclusions. This is what I want us to come away with. Two important conclusions. First, very simply, there is no friend like Jesus. And then secondly, I want to be a friend like Jesus is a friend. Those two things. Now, if you have already developed a friendship with Jesus, then you know for certain already that there is no friend quite like him. And the longer you've walked with him, the more convinced you are of this. And the second thing is, if you want to be a quality friend to others, there is no greater example than Jesus. And we're going to look at why. Four reasons why. Four things I want us to notice about how Jesus related to his friends. Here's the first thing. Jesus wasn't interested in what he could get from his friends. He wasn't interested in what he could get from his friends. Think about it. Jesus walked right past the mansions of the wealthy people. He went to ordinary, everyday people who never in their wildest dreams would think that God would give them a second glance. You know, one of the hallmarks of Jesus's ministry was that the religious leaders began to criticize his choice of friends. But I believe that his choice of friends was incredibly intentional. It wasn't just Peter and Andrew and James and John either. There was also a man named Nathaniel, who the Bible says was a very simple person. And the word that's used to describe him is basically means what you see is what you get. He was not, Nathaniel was not a mover and a shaker. Jesus saw a man named Matthew who was a tax collector. He was way past ordinary. People didn't even like him at all because he took their money. Jesus stops at Matthew's tax collection table there, looks Matthew in the eyes and says, you, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew did. Beyond that, Jesus called Simon, who was also known as Simon the Zealot. It was a political activist working for Israel's freedom from Rome. And he says to Simon, you, you join me too. And he did. I have to say, just imagining Matthew and Simon the Zealot in the same room and walking in the in this same group for three years just makes me laugh. There was also a man named Thomas who had a hard time believing Jesus, but he became a follower anyway. 
Jesus picked people who had little to offer him in the ways that we think that friendship ought to work. He didn't pick people who had the social position to help him further his cause. Now, our minds tell us that God only picks people who have it all together. But the truth is God does quite the opposite. That's why the first people to respond to Jesus are usually those who already know that they don't have it all together. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, he says these words, I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, by picking the people that Jesus picked, he threw open the doors and knocked down the walls. He invited the prostitutes, the poor, the sick, the lower strata, the forgotten people. And God says, them first. Go after them first. Jesus didn't do photo ops or give interviews with magazine articles where he said, look at how great I am with all the little people. No. Jesus built real relationships, not strategic alliances. So let me ask you, how do you approach friendships? Do you look for those who can offer you something? Do you go into it looking what you can get out of it? Jesus certainly didn't. He was not that way. That's the first thing that we learn about Jesus and his friends. Here's the second thing. The second thing is, Jesus wanted his friends to be near him a lot, like up close and personal. I mean, Jesus walked and talked with these people for three years, three years. And back in Jesus' day, there wasn't mass transportation. There was no Jesus mobile. No, he walked. And an average day, they walked 12 to 15 miles. That gives lots of time for conversation. And when they walked and talked together, there were no outs of the conversation like we experience today. I walked into a room not long ago, properly socially distanced, but there was a room full of people and every single one of them had their face buried in a phone. They're all there, I mean, supposedly together, but none of them had the time of day for anyone else in the room. It's like they weren't even there. I mean, what is that? Why are these people even together? Jesus was not that way. He was not that way. He was accessible. He was available to the people that he picked. You can't have a relationship with someone who is not available to you. But Jesus was. He paid attention to his friends. He wasn't distant and removed, not at all. Now here's a pointed question. If calamity were to strike you in the middle of the night, who would you call? In moments like that, what you don't think is, who do I really admire? No, you don't. You think, who, which friend of mine is the most accessible? Who is the friend that at 1.30 in the morning, no matter what the problem, he's going to be there for me. Now, on the flip side of that, who would call you? Who is it that matter, no matter what time or what the problem may be, you would say, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. That's a big question, friends. Too many people don't know the answer to that question. Give that some thought on this side of the crisis. Now, one of my very favorite stories in the Bible comes after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says that Peter, James, and John were out fishing, and as the boat was coming back toward shore, 
they saw someone out on the shore at a fire with coals burning, which means that the fire had been going for a while. Someone had been thinking about them returning back to the shore because there was fire with food, there was bread and fish cooking on that fire. When they came close, they saw that it was Jesus, the one that they had abandoned earlier, now resurrected. Jesus was cooking breakfast for them. He didn't have to do that. He could have been standing on the shore with his hands on his hips saying, I told you, you see, I told you I was returning. I told you I was coming back. But instead, he served them, cooked them breakfast. And in that, he was saying, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, I will still be here for you. So stay close. That is something that we learn from Jesus and his friends. Here's the third thing that we learn from Jesus and his friends. Jesus brought out the best in his friends. He brought out the best in them. Jesus challenged them in order to bring out the best in them. What did he say to Peter over those three years? Peter, you're not just a fisherman. You're a fisher of men, and you're going to be a leader in my church. He says to Thomas, Thomas, you're going to doubt me, but... After I'm gone, I'm going to leave my spirit in you, and who you are will reflect on me. People will see me in you, Thomas. He accepted them. He loved them. He challenged them. So let me ask you, do you love and accept and challenge your close friends? Do you help them raise the bar in their own lives to help them become all that God desires for them to become? That's a high-level friendship if you do that. Now, I understand the love component of friendship. I even understand that the place in God's heart where he's got so much compassion that he might hold his nose and come up close to me and say, I still love you. I still love you. I have lesser understanding of the like part of this, how the like factor could be so high that God actually likes me, like wants to spend time with me because he enjoys me and enjoys you as well. Now, because he likes us, because he loves us, he won't let us be. One writer put it this way. I thought this was beautiful. He said, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants you to become all you were created to be. See, God has a dream for your life, and that dream is wrapped up in these four things that we're looking at today, that we're discovering today. So look at this, a quick review of the first three. The first part of God's dream for you is to understand that God is not trying to get something from you. He doesn't need your money, doesn't need your sacrifice. He's not after those things. He just wants you. He wants you. That's why he chose you as a friend. The invitation has already been extended. And that's a big deal because lots of us feel like we haven't been chosen for anything in a long, long time. That's the first thing. Here's the second part of God's dream for you is that he really, really wants you to be near him all the time. He has so much to offer you and you really can't lay a hold of all that from a distance. There's so much available to you that you'll never even be aware of unless you come up close to God and enter into this friendship that he offers you. And then third, the third part of God's dream for us 
is that he wants to bring out the very, very best in us, the best. Look at it this way. There is something that you can be, but you will never be apart from friendship with Jesus. It all begins there. God's spirit at work in you enables you to become all that you were created to be. And now, the fourth part of God's dream for you is exemplified in Jesus as well. And here's the fourth thing. Jesus cared about his friend's well-being beyond the here and now. Think about that. He cared about his friend's well-being beyond just the here and now. Now, there is no shortage of evidence that Jesus cared deeply about human need. I mean, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, he restored sight, he restored hearing, he restored withered limbs from people. But listen, everyone that Jesus healed is dead. All of them. The death rate still hovers right around 100%. 100%. So in order to truly care about a friend, you must care about their well-being beyond the here and now. In other words, care about their eternity. It's a big deal. Now, a while back, I got word that there was a young man that was dying in the hospital, and his family did not think that he was a believer. He was a young guy. So I went to go see him in the hospital, and when I got there, everyone was understandably somber and polite. I mean, that's a delicate, delicate moment. And so I was respectful and understandably quiet, polite as well. But then I realized I didn't come there to fluff up the guy's pillow and give him a fresca. No. This guy is about to step through the doorway into eternity unprepared. If I really cared about this guy, I needed to care about him beyond the here and now. So I just leaned over to him and I asked him, do you want to talk about what's going to happen when you stand before God? And his eyes shot open and his hand reached out to me and he nodded yes. He couldn't speak. He was unable to, but he nodded yes. So I talked with him very, very frankly. And then I prayed with him because he wanted to receive Jesus as his Savior. And he died two days later. Friends, Jesus cared so much for us beyond the here and now that he did two significant things that will impact us forever, forever. First, the first thing was he paid a price that we could not pay to bring us into this friendship with him. I mean, you might be wealthy, but you do not have, nor will you ever have enough to buy or earn your friendship with God. No, Jesus paid the death penalty that we deserved. He paid it. Second significant thing was that when Jesus left this earth and when he was no longer walking alongside his friends on the dusty roads between Jerusalem and Galilee, he did something else for us. He sent his spirit to dwell in his followers. He said, I'll send the comforter to you. My spirit will live in you when I'm gone. He wanted his friends to be comforted in his absence. And Paul, the writer, uses a version of that word comfort, which helps us understand what Jesus was actually doing for his friends here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, Praise be to God, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. Paul is playing on a word there, isn't he? On the word comfort. And that's kind of a thin translation of that word. I mean, because we think of comfort as, you know, being patted on the back. They're there. 
feel better. This is a little bit different. This word is best defined in sort of a word picture, and the picture would be this. Imagine someone walking down a road alone, who is then joined by someone else who walks alongside them the rest of the way. Now let's look at that verse again with that in mind. Blessed be the God who walks alongside of me so that I can walk alongside of you with all of the walking alongsideness with which I've been met. I'm gonna say that again. Blessed be the God who walks alongside of me so that I can walk alongside of you with all of the walking alongsideness with which I have been met. Jesus saw you walking down life's road alone. And he loves you and he wants to be with you. So he joined you on that road and walks the rest of the way with you. Now, with that going on in your life, Jesus asks us now to see others and offer to walk alongside of them for the rest of the way. So back to the two things I want us to take away from this message most. First thing is, there is no friend like Jesus, none. And the second thing is, I want to be a friend like Jesus is a friend. And I think you do too. I want you to bow your heads and we'll pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the friendship that we find in you through Jesus. Thank you for loving us enough to walk alongside of us on this long road of life. Thank you for befriending us, Lord. Thank you for the challenge for us to befriend others, to be a good friend to others. Lord, with you at work in our life, we believe that we can be a good friend to the people around us. So Lord, would you help us to embrace this friendship with you and then in turn, be open to the people around us and welcome them in to loving friendships as well. We know you can do this, Lord, and we believe now that you will, because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you have a great Sunday today. I'm going to leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. Mm -hmm.